0: Welcome to episode 35 of Game Dev with a Shot Ashada Jamison. My name is Jamison Doral and I'm a game designer with 20 years of experience that likes to help people learn more about video game development. Today I'm joined by Kerry Allen, he's a senior UI programmer at id Software. We talk about what it means to be a UI programmer, the accessibility options in the games that he's worked on, and the difficulties he had with immigration while trying to work in the US. Don't forget you can join the conversation live every wednesday at 7 p.m eastern at twitch.tv forward slash jameson there's a link in the show notes if you want to come get your questions answered live next time but for now let's get this episode started all right so why don't we start with young carrie allen young teenager wondering what he's going to do with his life did you always know you wanted to work in games like what 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 did you kind of think you were going to end up doing
1: Oh, I always knew I wanted to work in games like from um, from the time I was like six years old I decided I wanted to work in video games when i uh, when I got through school and everything um yeah I've been playing games since uh, since I was about three years old back a little bit about computers just to get them to load games so I had to know a little bit about programming so yeah that's what got me interested in programming and then by the time I was six I was like yep I want to make games when I grow up And then uh, I went through school and kind of focused on that. (laughs) So,
0: so when you went through school, does that mean there was stuff in high school you were able to do for it as well? Or did you, or did you, once you got out?
1: Yeah, I, I took all the computer classes I could while I was in high school. Um, I was always really good at math and science as well. That always helped out a lot. Nice. Um, so yeah. All
0: right. So then now where did you grow up exactly?
1: So, I grew up on a small island just off the coast of England called the Isle of Man. Okay. And uh yeah. Oh, my monitor just got bright.
0: <laughs> Maybe just you some on nice lighting.
1: or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, all
0: of
1: a sudden it looks it looks nice.
0: Yeah, you're all blooming. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: it's like I just came from the Isle of Man, that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so um Raised in the Isle of Man, a small island just off the coast of England, and uh, not much going on there for game development. Yeah, so probably not. <laughs> my parents thought when <laughs> yeah, parents thought when, um, uh, when I was getting ready to graduate high school, uh, why don't we move to America and see what's going on there? So uh, so we did, and landed in Florida, just down the road from here. I uh, actually graduated from Lake Mary High. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's right in town here.
0: I didn't realize that, so you <laughs> yeah. finished high school mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I didn't realize that. Nice. Yeah. Was that an exchange program or did you guys just literally up and move and then you enrolled when you got here?
1: So yeah, we, we just up and moved and I enrolled when I got here and, uh, had some issues later on with, uh, uh, with immigration when, uh, when I came of age when I was 21, no longer independent anymore. Then it got a bit complicated. I had to go back to England for a little while and figure out my own way to come back. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, other than that, um, yeah, I just came with my mom and dad and uh, everything's been great for them. <laughs> great, well, everything hasn't really been great for, Everything's been way better compared to me. Everything's been great for them.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. We'll get to talk a bit about each of those when we get to some of your jobs too. Right. Cause you've had some interesting yeah. scenarios with some of that stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So how old were you when you, first of all, how did you find out about Full sale? And how old were you when you went, uh, when you started there?
1: So I was, um, I actually found out about it through Boy Scouts. Uh, So I was in Boy Scouts all through high school and uh, I got my Eagle Scout award and they do a job shadowing program uh, as part of that. And with Full Sail being local, they're like, oh, he wants to do video games. What can we do in Florida to give him something to do for video games? Oh, let's hook him up with someone from Full Sail. So um, got to know my admissions rep. Uh, basically, they sponsored me for for this um, this uh, dinner for the Eagle Scouts, and uh, yeah, got to know my admissions rep there. Um, I was I was actually twenty one by the time I I started Full Sail. Well, I was twenty, and I turned twenty one shortly after I started Full Sail, and that's when I became no longer dependent and ran into immigration problems. So I didn't actually graduate until I was twenty five. Oh, wow. But um, yeah, there was a big gap in between where I went back to when I lived in the Isle of Man again for a few years.
0: Wow. Yeah. So what did you do while you were there, Back when you, while you were back there?
1: So um, I, there was one shop on the island that built and repaired PCs, so I got hired there. Like I landed on a Friday, and I got hired there on the Monday. <laughs> oh, wow. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah. Most of the time I was building, repairing PCs. Um, also worked at GameStop part-time as well. Um, I was only, there usually at the weekends and worked at GameStop and then during the week I built and repaired PCs, trying to save up as much money as I could to get back here.
0: All right. Yeah. Nice. So mm-hmm. you finally were able to get back and finish your education. What, what was Full sale like? What was that experience like for you? And you did game development, right? Yeah so t- like give us some yeah, idea like was, what that was like yeah
1: it, it it was awesome i loved it i i ate it up um you know the, the teachers will will teach you a new concept every day and um and it, it's all relevant to gaming it's not like a lot of college degrees you kind of um you have to do a lot of stuff that isn't really relevant to what you want to do just a lot of uh i guess required classes that uh that aren't interesting at all to you but every day at full sale was interesting i learned something new every day you can uh every month you can just stop and think about okay what do i know today that i didn't know a month ago Mm. and you can just make a list of of all the things you've learned in just a month um so yeah the teachers would uh they they teach the lecture and then uh then we'd do the lab, the four-hour lab. And then after that, I'd usually come up with my own project to do for the evening that uh, that had something to do with whatever concept it was that we learned. Um, kind of apply it in my own way, like make a, a small, like two, three hours, make a game that used that concept or make uh, make an app or something that used that concept. Um, so, yeah, I, I just paid it up as much as I could. And the teachers were always really interested in helping. Um, you know, if I was working on a project that that uh, kind of used the material from the class but wasn't actually part of the class, they'd uh, they'd help out on that. They'd help me out figuring out all the problems with that, and building my own engine and things like that. Um, they were all, all interested in seeing what I was doing and helping me out with that. Nice. So, yeah, I, I just had a lot of fun with it. Um, there's always people to meet there. Um, uh, even if even if it's not your degree program, um, like I knew a lot of recording art students, knew a lot of computer animation students. Um, I worked the behind the scenes tour while I was there, so I got to meet a lot of the other programs. Um, and then when it came time for final project, we wanted to do a game that was uh, we were going to enter into the student independent game festival. So all of our content had to be student generated. So we couldn't use the staff uh, the staff asset team that they, they give you final project. Right. So yeah, we had to go into classes. We spoke to course directors from computer animation and uh, digital media and said, hey, can we, uh, we come talk to some of your students for, for 10 minutes or so? And we'd go into their class and we'd be like, yeah, we're making this game and final project. You want to give us models and, and textures and, and uh, 2D art and sound effects for it? And we had something like 50 students that, that wanted to be a part of it.
0: Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, Red X just asked, are there still students here at Full Sail since you graduated? <laughs> yes.
1: Oh, are, are they still teachers? Yeah. Like some yeah. of your teachers oh, are yeah. still there, right? Yeah. 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 Some of them, um, I think who, who've we got there, um, who's still there.
0: Um, so th- a lot of them
1: have moved around a lot.
0: Yeah. Arthur uh, Johnson like, is still there.
1: Kid- yeah. Kayvon is now in the design degree. Yep. But uh he was in he was in uh programming when, when I went through. Uh I think Gallo is in design as well now, right? Yep. And now he's, he's actually doing the masters. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, there's still quite a few. And lab specialists too. Like it's it's crazy. Yeah. A lot of
1: people yeah, tend to lab stay specialists.
0: there. <laughs> yeah. It's
1: some some lab specialists that have graduated to uh to course director since I, I was there, but they were lab specialists when I was there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. So as your time was was wrapping up, well, so talk a little bit more about that project. Did you get that indie project or did you get that project done for the showcase? And and how did that how did that end up going?
1: We did. Um so we we didn't end up winning, but we ended up uh we ended up with a pretty decent project that we could submit for it, that met all the you know, all the criteria, all the requirements. Um, made a game called Dungeon of Glory, and it was the, the greatest game that we, you know, I mean, it was our final project, it was our first game. <laughs> I mean, to go back and play it now, it's terrible. But, <laughs> you know, back then it was amazing. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, it was uh, a third person hack and slash game. Um, had couch co-op. It had uh, network play as well. You could play uh, across the internet um, and play different characters. Uh, it was uh, a druid, uh, a barbarian, and a sorcerer. I think was the third character.
0: Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So yes. Yeah, as you were finishing fun. up, did did you already know that you want? Did you have an interest in UI already, or is that something that kind of developed a little bit later?
1: So, um, when I got into my first job, um, I'd already learned uh, 3D Studio and um, and all the Adobe products: Flash, uh, Photoshop, um, uh, After Effects, all of those. Um, so, in my first job, um, they sat me down next to uh, a. One of the lead artists and said this guy's going to give you a tutorial on how to make content that you can test it basically make your own placeholder stuff with 3d studio that you can test um so he's just going to spend all day with you give you a crash course in 3d studio and um uh like an hour later uh lead programmer came back and he's like how's everything going and the lead artist was like he knows everything that that He needs to, he can make his own placeholder (laughs) stuff for for the game, no problem. Um, And so from then on, it just kind of became me sitting next to him. And it was a very UI intensive game. Um, It was actually a game called Mixed Messages uh, that didn't ship until many years later. It was kind of put on the back burner and then came out many years later after I'd stopped working on it. Uh, But it was a very UI intensive game. And yeah, just working next to him. Um, I was like, yeah, I, I love like his process. I, I love working with the artist to 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 get the UI up and running. I, I know all their tools, I know their pipelines, I know how to make their job easier. And then uh, when they're looking across at me testing my code and seeing seeing what I'm working on, they're like, Oh, I could make some art that you you don't have to animate that by hand. I could uh, or, or by code, you know, I can actually I animate that on a timeline and it will look even better. Um and so, uh, so there was just really good synergy between me and him in the first project, and because it was just such a UI intensive project, I was like, "Yeah, I kind of, kind of digging this." Um, and then I just kind of funneled into UI after that. Um, uh, by the time, by the time I was, uh, I worked at EA f- a few years ago. By the time I made it there, I was basically dedicated UI at that point.
0: Okay. Yeah. So we had actually, someone just asked, what is UI? Do you want to kind of give a little overview of like what that means and and specifically what yeah. your role in it is?
1: Yeah. So UI is a user interface. It's basically everything in the game. If you can imagine, imagine yourself in, in the game world. Um, like if, if you're playing Madden, imagine what it's like to actually go to a real football game. Everything that you see that, that, you wouldn't see if you're in the stadium, like um, all the, the button prompts, all the HUD, all the menus, uh, everything that that isn't part of that world, um, that's that's all UI. Um, a big part of UI is localization as well, uh, getting the game to work in uh, all the different countries that we're shipping it in. Um, and yeah, input is a big part of it. Um, lots of buttons and clicking and, and, uh, uh, user experience kind of ties in with UI. Um, you say that if, if, if you've been successful at creating a, a good UI, people don't notice like it, it's the bad UIs that they notice. So user experience kind of ties in with that.
0: Yeah. All right. So, so as you were, so you, you kind of talked about your first job a little bit, where, how did you get your first job? Did you like, send resumes out did was there someone that that came to the school that you talked to like the first job and getting that first job is something everybody wants to know about right so Mm -hmm. tell us that story and how that kind of went for you
1: yeah so for me it was about two months after i graduated um i'd I'd been in touch with career development things were going well with them had a good relationship with them um and i heard that uh, the activision were coming into town Um, they were just going to give a presentation on on the Thursday night, and then they were going to do interviews on Friday morning. And um, the uh, career development advisor at the time uh, called me up. He said, hey, um, so you've heard about Activision coming in. I'm like, yeah, yeah. How do I get signed up for the the interviews on Friday? He said, oh, I've already signed you up for that. Just uh, come in on Thursday night, sit through the presentation, ask some questions, and uh, go in on Friday morning, knock it out of the park. So that's basically uh, that's how it went. I showed up on on Thursday night. Uh, they were talking about what life was like at the studio, um, talking about exit they they'd shipped recently, um, and uh, yeah, I, I hung out till the end. I uh, spoke to uh, there was the technical director at the time who would uh, he'd be my boss. Um, but he was actually from England and um, he the, the Isle of Man is famous for motorcycle races and he was a big motorcycle enthusiast. Oh, interesting. So he was like, oh, you're from the Isle of Man. I've always wanted to go and race motorcycles there. And I, I got this buddy that like sold all his stuff just so that he could buy a motorcycle and go drive it around the course on the Isle of Man. Um, so I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, I used to work at the races. And, and so it kind of just taught casually about not not even really about games at, at that point. We were just, just chit-chatting. Um, and we just got really friendly. And then the next morning came and it was time for the interview. And uh, I'm waiting outside, waiting for him to call me in. And he comes out and he's like, oh, it's you. Come on in. Let, let's let chat. And it was, from then on, just every interview that I've ever really had in gaming is just, it, it's been, I mean, it's been professional, but it's been very casual. It's uh, just a, a, a bunch of, bunch of professionals who, uh, who might be coworkers, just kind of, uh, explaining what, what they enjoy doing and, and you know, what, what they've done in the past. And, and it's, it's fun. It's just, yeah, I, I enjoy basically enjoy interviews at this point.
0: Nice. That's not something I hear very often. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, being someone that that's not, uh, a U.S. or like, you weren't a a U.S. citizen at that time. What kind of struggles did you go with? Like even at that first job was there, did, did that company sponsor you? Did you need it yet? Like, how did that work?
1: Yeah. So, um, I, I, to this day, I still need to be sponsored. Um, so, um, right now I'm on a, an O-1 visa, but back then I was on an H-1 visa. Um, you can go for, I think it's about a year after you graduate, you're allowed to stay in the States if you're an international student. If you get a job in the field that you graduated in, you're allowed to stay for a year. Um, I think they call it OPT, Optional Practical Training. Um, And then at the end of that year, the company has to sponsor you. So that's basically your time to, to... Give, you can give them that without all the paperwork, then putting in the paperwork, and that's your way of proving yourself, saying, hey, yeah, this is me, and uh, at the end of this year, if you fill in the paperwork, I can stay here and, and make stuff for you forever. So um, that's really how you've got to approach it. You've got to just try and make the most of that first year. Well, make the most of all the years, but that first year <laughs> especially, um, got to really shine and uh, and get yourself noticed so that they'll sponsor you. Um, usually, it's the bigger companies uh, to target um, if you're going to get sponsored. Um, a lot of students, I think, are scared to go for the big companies because they think they're, they're out of their league. But um, all companies need junior people. All, all companies need people across the spectrum of, uh, of ability. Um So if you go uh, go for a company like Microsoft or Sony or um, or EA, Activision, really any of the any of the companies that I've worked for in the past, really, I didn't work for Sony, but yeah, um, any of the the bigger companies, um, uh, they'll they'll be in a position, they'll have departments designed just uh, like just staffed full of lawyers to get people uh, the the visas that they need. Gotcha. And so, did you,
0: yeah. how long were you at your first company?
1: I was there for about three years. I was a, uh, it was Vicarious Visions, okay. Activision.
0: Nice. Mm-hmm. And what, did you ship anything yeah. there? Was the first, or what was the first thing you shipped?
1: Yeah. So, I shipped uh, Guitar Hero DS uh, and then a sequel to that. It was Guitar Hero on Tour, was the, the, the official title of the DS. Uh, and, and then uh, there was on Tour Decades was the sequel to that. And uh, then I, I uh, shipped Band Hero DS. And then in the middle of all of that was that game I mentioned before, Mixed Messages. I actually spent the first three months uh, when I was at Activision working on Mixed Messages. And then they were like, yeah, we're, we're going to cut this. We don't really know. We can't get the publishers really interested in this. So we're just going to put this. We're going to cut this for now. So they, they cut that project. And I thought, oh, the first project it has been cut. It's never going to ship. And sucks uh, but then they put me on guitar hero and i'm like oh th- this this will make yeah. up for
0: it yeah that's probably gonna yeah. ship
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then um uh when the dsi came out uh they had uh that was the first time that you could uh connect your your ds to to the the nintendo store and download uh download software to uds um they didn't have that in the original ds yeah. um and Kind of came back then, they're like, Oh, this is the perfect downloadable title. So it was actually, it, it became the first third party title in the Nintendo DS store.
0: Oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah, man, yeah, taking me back. The DSi, I haven't thought about that in years.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's
0: funny. So, uh, what came after that? Are yeah. uh, you still, still working on stuff there?
1: Yeah, so, um, after that, um, well. Uh, Band Hero DS was the last thing I worked on at, uh, at Activision and then, uh, then I moved to Microsoft um, to work on what they were calling Project Natal at the time and, and it, it grew to become known as Connect. Um, so uh, I was working on the packing title for that, uh, Connect Adventures. Um, it's always fun using like the prototype hardware that they, they haven't quite figured out exactly what to do with it yet. Um, and a lot of the, the software prototypes as well. Like We had all the release games, like there was Dance Central, there was uh, Connect Sports, and we were all kind of doing different things with UI and um, and. In, in the end they're, they're like yeah connect adventures has the the easiest to f- for most people to use um so they decided yeah we'll, well we will make connect adventures officially the packing title for connect so that technically made it the best-selling xbox game of all time
0: yeah yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah
0: that's funny so what yeah. caused you to make that jump to microsoft <sighs>
1: So um, I could kind of tell that the, um, the Guitar Hero bubble was going to burst at some point. Um, while I'd been there, um, the studio uh, uh, bloated, and then it started to, to deflate again. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I see what's going on here. Um, uh, and actually, right after I left, they had a massive layoff there. Um, I think they got rid of about a third of the studio.
0: Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes um, you can kind of see the writing on the wall, huh? (laughs) Yeah. I had a couple of those myself.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I I started looking around for what there was and um, saw that uh, one of my buddies that I graduated with in my final project group, uh, he'd shown off Project Natal, like on Facebook, he was like, yeah, this is what I'm working on. I'm like, that looks awesome. I want to work on that. So, uh, yeah, I applied at Microsoft, and uh, I got in there and got to work on connected ventures
0: Wow, yeah. so what came after that like what How long were you at Microsoft overall
1: I actually wasn't at Microsoft that long, just basically long enough to ship connected ventures um, They started working on some um some smaller downloadable titles for connect after that um, but nothing really that I stuck around for. Um, at the time it was uh, a, bit, a bit of a difficult time for my family um, My dad just had a stroke right after Connect adventures. Uh, so I thought yeah I need to need to go and be with my family and and they were in Orlando so I'm like yeah I need to go back to Orlando Orlando' is home anyway so I need to go back to Orlando. So, um, packed all my stuff up, came back to Orlando and, um, my, I'm sure the people here, like I can talk to people and, and find, find work here. I'm sure. And, and it wasn't long before I was at EA sports.
0: Yeah, man. So you made a move cross country because you wanted to be somewhere with the hopes that you would find work when you got there. Right. Yeah. That's bold, <laughs> man. That's bold. Yeah. Now, and you honestly didn't have any, like any inkling. You're just like, you know what? I'll figure it out when I get there.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Like That's awesome. when uh, when my dad had his stroke. <laughs> yeah, when my dad had a stroke, it was just panic stations. You know, I'm like, uh, I, I I don't feel right here in, in yeah. Seattle. I, I need to be back with my family, and uh, I just I just have to go. Uh, yeah. And I just just packed up my stuff and uh, and I left. And um, yeah, I I, I'm, I was fairly confident that at some point when uh, when EA had some openings, uh, I'd be in there. It, it gets easier. Your first job is probably the hardest job you'll ever have to land, yeah. Um, and it just get it does get easier and easier. Eventually, you get to a point after you've shipped enough titles where the work really starts looking for you more than uh, more than you look for the work. Yeah. Um, LinkedIn becomes a lot of noise at that point, and uh, um, you know you get emails from recruiters um, frequently and. A lot of times it's stuff that, you, that you're not interested in, but if you didn't have a job, you'd probably be interested in it, you know? Yeah,
0: definitely. And that's mm. why anytime, like I, I get the same, I get a lot of recruiters and I always tell mm. them not right now, I'm not interested right now, yeah. but I don't want you to stop contacting me because one, at some point I'm, I might need something, but two, at some point you might have something that is really enticing, right? So like, you don't want to close yeah. those doors. Like why not hear them? You know, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. So, so when you made that move, though, how uh, how long had you been in the industry at that point? Like five years or so? Is that at that point? uh, Yeah, yeah, probably
1: about five years. Yeah.
0: And so then, now you're at EA. What what did you come to? What was your new title and role at EA at Tiburon?
1: So um, I got hired as a UI programmer at at uh, at EA Tiburon. Um, The first title I worked on there was uh, Madden 13 for the Wii U. And they'd already basically published uh, Madden 13 for the other platforms, but the Wii U was, uh, it wasn't out at the time when when Madden shipped, so it was coming out that November, whereas Madden normally ships like around about now. August, uh, uh, Well, yeah, like a month ago, yeah. yeah. Um, so... Uh, so Madden 13 had come out for the other platforms, but they wanted someone to to um, handle all the Nintendo specific stuff. Um, the Wii U had the touchpad, and they had some features that they wanted to do specifically for that. So I got to do the UI for basically all the UI on the on the touch screen. Um, I got to work on that for, for Madden 13. So that, that was a lot of fun. That's um, really
0: cool. Like you got a brand yeah. new hardware on, a, on an yeah. established franchise and you got to be the guy that kind of figured it out. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Now, too bad nobody bought a Wii U, right? <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that's, it had so much potential. I still have mine out in the garage. I just, uh, yeah. and luckily now they're remaking a bunch of those games for the Switch, so.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know why um, Nintendo just kind of didn't really have the uh, the third-party support for Wii U, and then it yeah. came back when the Switch came back, But well, when the Switch came out. Yeah. Um, and now, now it's good to see them doing well. Again, like some of the games that come out on Switch, even though the Switch isn't as powerful as Xbox PlayStation, it's still, um, uh, it's awesome playing some of the older games uh, that are ported across there, but you're playing them for the first time portable. Yeah. Like playing Skyrim for the first time while you're waiting in the doctor's office or something like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't announce Skyrim for the PS5 today. So. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So how long were you at EA? So you were there? So what, or what was your next project? You, you did the, the Madden 13, Wii U. What, what did you move on to after yeah. that?
1: Uh, after that, I did uh, NCAA uh, College Football 14, which was the last NCAA College Football game. Uh, and I did um, Madden 25, the 25th anniversary Madden. And I did, uh, Madden 15, uh, all of those, I worked on ultimate team, which was just basically all UI. Um, I don't know if you've played ultimate team, but it, it's basically a card game, a uh, trading card game built into the Madden and really all the EA sports titles at this point, they have this uh, built in trading card game and it's just all UI and, uh, lots of microtransactions and stuff like that. Um, it's the only way it, I play a now. Lot of money.
0: I love ultimate mm. team, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was it was fun. Um, yeah, especially the, the last one I worked on, um, Madden Fifteen uh, Ultimate Team. Um, got got to do a, a lot of cool stuff in that one. I got to um, really iterate on some of the features that we brought across from Twenty Five that uh, weren't that great in Twenty Five, and them up and and really polish the whole mode. Really, um, in Fifteen, really enjoyed that.
0: Nice. So then what, what yeah. came after that?
1: So after that, um, because the, uh, the NCAA li- license had gone away, um, Tiburon was uh, overstaffed and they had to whittle down, um, have a, a series of redundancies, series of layoffs. And I made it until the last one. Oh. And, uh, I remember that morning. Um, <laughs> so things were going really well for me at, at Tiburon um uh, they'd asked me actually um uh with 15 coming out they would asked me if if I wanted to be the lead on on the patch that they were going to release for 15 I'm like yeah sure I'll, I'll I'll take the lead role on that I'll I'll get that done so um it was really my first leadership role in a in a triple a title and um so I'd go to meetings every morning um there was me on the Ultimate Team, and then there was uh, other people from from the other part, the other the other areas of the game. We all got together and like, okay, the, these are the issues we've got to tackle. Get in the game, uh, you know. This is what we've got to get in today. And uh, that that particular morning, I went to that meeting at, at like ten o'clock in the morning. And normally it would be me and my producer, and then a bunch of other people from other teams. But my producer didn't show up until like five minutes till the end of the meeting. And I was like, oh,
0: oh.
1: Uh, he, where he is today. Um, but anyway, he showed up five minutes to the end. And then um, after the meeting, we're walking back to our desks. And I'm kind of filling him in what he missed in the meeting. And uh, get back to my desk. And all, all the guys on the team are like, oh, Kerry, thank God you're here. You know, it's, it's good to see you. And I'm like, what did you guys break? And they're like, no, 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 this this email went out today saying there was gonna be another round of layoffs and people were just gonna start disappearing from their desks. And you oh. haven't been at your desk all morning. And I was like, no, I, I've been in this, I've been in a leads meeting all morning. Like,
2: <laughs> they're not gonna get rid
1: of me. They've just made me the lead on this patch. And then uh, then my producer comes by, he's like, hey, Kerry, you got a second, come into my office. I'm like, okay. I, I'm thinking he wants more of an, uh, of an update of what he missed. And then I get into his office and HR are in there. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. I see how this is. (laughs) Man, that is
0: brutal. Yeah. When I was at Redwood Shores, EA, they had uh, this one conference room on the third floor that was out in the open area and it had curtains uh, for the windows. And if I ever came in and those curtains were closed, like, uh Mm uh-oh, it's going to be a bad day today. Then you just look around to see who was getting plucked from their desk. Like that was a terrifying time oh man so so what, yeah. what what happened then like you so now you're suddenly out of work right and like what yeah. what what's next like what, what do you do at that point
1: so i kind of panicked a little bit um right then because i i actually closed on my house the the week that I got laid off from EA and like the final (laughs) call with the bank they're like yeah we need employment verification and I'm like I hope that like news hasn't made it to like corporate EA that I've been let go yet (laughs) you know so uh but apparently it went through so uh so I closed on my house while I lost my job so that was that wow. made it even more scary. So wait, why well, I would
0: have thought at that point you'd have been like, "Wait, I need to not do this house." So, but you're like, "No, I'm I'm getting this house."
1: Yeah, I, I'd already it, it was a short sale, so I'd already waited for like a year. Uh, I've gone through gone through a year of red tape to get this house, and then when it finally goes through, that week I get laid off. Oh um, man! But my parents at the time said, "You know what? We we live in Orlando, and if anything ever happens." you know, we'll, we'll move in and, and we'll take care of things for you. I'm like, okay. And thank God that, 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 I had them to help me out. Oh, man. So, um, so I closed on my house and my parents moved in and I was like, I've, I've got to get sorted though right away. Um, uh, because, uh, cause it was layoffs. They, they gave me a little bit of severance. Um, but still I, I needed to get something sorted out pretty, pretty pronto. So, um, Talked to all the recruiters I knew, and found out about um, Darkside uh, were were hiring. And Darkside were a smaller uh, a smaller studio down in Fort Lauderdale. They did a lot of um, a lot of outsourcing. You'll find a lot in games um, when uh, you'll you'll have people that work for the main company, like how I work for ID. Um, but when when you get towards the end of the project, you just need a lot more hands. So there's a lot of companies that will just join the team for for a few months while, while you ship. And that's really? kind of what Darkseid was doing. They worked with Gearbox a lot. So like when Gearbox was getting ready to ship Borderlands and they needed extra help, they they contracted out Darkseid. And Darkseid, they'd done that for a few years. They'd, they'd worked on a few pretty cool titles. And they were in a, a fairly solid position I thought. Um, uh, yeah, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, they, they were... They were a really good group. Um, I got down there and made some really cool friends and found out we're working on uh, their, their first uh, IP that they'd done just them by themselves um, and it was going to be published by Microsoft but it was them doing the development. So, um, so I moved down to Fort Lauderdale to be with them and I, I was maybe out of work. Between EA and, and DarkSide I was maybe out of work for like two weeks. Uh, And then, yeah, I was down there, uh, and the severance covered that, so that was fine. Um, So, yeah, I was down there uh, basically grinding away on the next game. Um, So, uh, I was down there for about six months, and um, we started to get a, a bit of a weird vibe from Microsoft. Microsoft would have press releases, and they'd talk about our game, and we'd be like, are they talking about the same game we're making for them? Because that that actually doesn't sound like what we're making for them. <laughs> and there's just this, this weird disconnect. And uh uh eventually um we, we had a, a studio-wide stand-up uh every Tuesday. Uh because there was only about 50 people in the studio. And 50 is a lot for a stand-up, but only once a week. It's it's not so bad. Um so uh we all gathered up for the for the Tuesday morning stand-up. And the head of the, the studio said, um, we had some bad news over the weekend. Um you know, we we were out at Microsoft and and they told us, um they told us that, that they're they're gonna cut the project, that they don't wanna fund projects anymore. So unfortunately this is this is the end of the project and this is gonna be the end of the studio. Fortunately, we're gonna have to close our doors. And uh, so yeah, he was basically in tears as he was telling everyone at the studio that. Um, so he uh, said, "You know, we'll we'll all be here for each other, and um, you know, I hope everyone lands on their feet. We're going to call up some recruiters from other studios to fly out here and see uh, see if if they want to snatch anyone up." Um, so that that's one of the best things about the industry when there's when a studio closes down or there's big layoffs recruiters from other studios are just ready to dive on, like get on a plane and, and fly to whatever city it's in and have a recruiting event right there, try and snatch up as much talent as they can before that talent just scatters to other jobs and like all around the country. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, um, uh, I went back to my desk, started shutting everything down. Someone came up to me and said, hey, we're, uh, we're going to go have lunch together. You know, it's probably going to be our last time hanging out together. So we're going to get a group together, and go have lunch. And so uh, why don't you shut shut your stuff down and and we'll we'll see you over there. I'm like, okay, cool. So uh, last thing I did before I shut my computer down was I jumped on Facebook and I posted a status saying studio is closing down today. It's, you know, a bad day for, for everyone. Um, hope everyone lands on their feet. And... Um, that turned out to be really all the job search that i had to do <laughs> <laughs> i went to lunch then after that and um and everyone every, you know everyone, um, in a depressed mood at, at, at lunch everyone's like what are we going to do what, what am i you know i i don't know i don't know what i can do now i don't know where i'm going to go and then my phone starts start just going off text messages text like lots of text messages and facebook messages and people calling me I think i'm gonna be all right yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: absolutely yeah
1: so and, and one of the um one of the guys that called me was uh was mark um well you know mark ds oh yeah and uh, yeah he said um we've got uh an opening at id um you know we're looking for a lead ui programmer um if you're interested i get your resume. Pretty sure you're guaranteed an interview, um, you know, with your, your background. Uh, so just let me know and, and I'll, I'll get it in. And, uh, so I sent him my resume and, um, and yeah, I got interviewed at it. And I thought, you know, this time I'm, I'm going to take it a little bit slower. I'm, I'm going to spend more than two weeks looking for a job. Um, so I, I, I actually got interviewed at, at a bunch of nice places and it was a, it actually wasn't that bad. Like when I, when I did accept the offer at id, um, you know, I was in a better place making more money than I was at dark And when I was at dark I was making more money, uh, better place, really, uh, something that interested me more than EA. So even though I was laid off twice in six months, really, I was promoted twice in six yeah. months.
0: <laughs> I had this, I tell people that all the time. I said, every yeah. time a place shut down, I ended up making more money and getting a better position than I had before. So yeah. like it's it, it's so it's so interesting. And plus like the way you generally get promoted is to go somewhere else. Like that's yeah. often what happens in this industry. It's kind of crazy. But hey, that's what yeah. we live in, right? Yeah. So so before we dig in too much here, there's a question in here. Um King of Blades asked, Do you have any advice for an associate software dev that would like to find a job joining an indie team? Do you have any perspective on indie teams?
1: Um, only really my short time at uh at uh, dark side so with indie um india is kind of uh, like it, it's a, it's a wild shot like there's so many indie like in triple a we can't fail we we have to not fail um which means we can't take a lot of risks but india is the opposite of that india is all about risks
2: yeah
1: um so you can work on some really cool stuff and really really innovative really creative stuff that you wouldn't get to work on in AAA and and that's the good side of it but the bad side of it is people might not understand what it is you're, you're trying to sell them um, and so yeah a, a lot of indie studios don't have uh, don't have the experience or, or the capital or, yeah. uh, or just any of the resources that they, that they need to really be successful and uh, I think a lot of times it just comes down to luck like I I know a lot of people that, that say they want to open their own indie studio, but even with my experience, I, I wouldn't want to open. Well, I, I don't think I'm disciplined enough really, Yeah. but, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to open, uh, I wouldn't want to open up my own indie studio, but you know, for some people it suits them fine. For some people that's what they want. Yeah.
0: I think dedication, long-term dedication becomes an issue with that. Right. Cause like, especially yeah. with a lot of indie, you're either not getting paid or getting paid very little to contribute to something. And, like, that's kind of hard to keep up unless you're super passionate about it and it continues to go the way you want it to go, right? Like, it's hard to keep that that desire for something like that. So I think that's where a lot of them end up, you know, becoming, you know, people just slowly fall off and you can't find someone to replace the work that you just lost. And, you know, it's that's that's tough. That's really tough. Yeah.
1: And indie can mean, um, uh, well, indie can be, like, just, a couple of buddies working on a, a thing in their spare time, but indie can also yeah. be like some, uh, some industry veterans that have, uh, you know, they, they've, uh, they've got a bunch of capital from either they've, they've got VC backing or something like that, or, yeah. or they put their own money into it. So they've got a decent amount of money invested in it and they've got a decent amount of talent. And obviously they, they're, they're more set up for success. Um, Definitely. <laughs> but they're, they're also probably a little bit more jaded from their experience. Right.
0: Oh, that's true. Yeah. And it, I'm always curious about something like that. When people start like an actual, like new small studio, like, because when we, when we're working for a big company, we have very, like there's things that we wish were different. Right. And then if we start our yeah. own thing, our focus is to change the things we wish that were different. And sometimes you lose focus on keeping the things that were working. So like it's, that's, that's a really right. kind of tough pitfall to get into and that and you can, like everybody else has to kind of been the same kind of goal and vision for where the company's going too. So there's a lot of that stuff that can be a little yeah. a little frustrating at times.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's some parts of the job that, that are just like that. Like yeah. um, I I have no love for Jira or Handsoft, but I, I know that i have to keep up to date with them i know that if no one uses any project management software if if no one knows how the project is is going no one's keeping track of things then uh, then things are going to fall apart very quickly so uh, even though i don't enjoy that too much you know i know i've got to spend a lot of time staying up to date in uh, in jira making sure that everything's on track yeah. Um, and yeah if you're running an indie studio you you, you are Jira, basically. You you are you are the management. You you are what what's keeping that uh, that studio alive. You're you're keeping everyone on track, and yeah, it takes a lot of discipline, a lot more discipline than I have.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like we we in the bigger teams and studios, we have so much separation between the day to day decisions and the ultimate success of the project, right? So the smaller yeah. the team gets, the more the closer that gets to where every decision has much bigger impact but it's also you know there's the risk of being wrong and setting yourself back right. and that, that's that's scary that's really scary yeah oh, Yeah. man so so yeah. as you're you you do your interview at id and you i'm sure you knock it out of the park and you're there what what was the first thing that you worked on like what, what did they bring you on for
1: so the first thing i worked on was um uh, was doom 2016. um it was in the final-ish stages had about um how long would it have been um almost a year left before it shipped so i was there for for about the last year of uh, of doom 2016. um and uh yeah i mean joining a a project at, at the end is not not the best time. Like the more fun stuff happens at the beginning when you've got time for for all the exciting things when you've got time to build things that you haven't built before. But then towards the end, it's like okay, we we got to get the game out. And it, it it's not like it, it doesn't become terrible to work there, but it's just it's a different pace. And yeah. it's it, to me, it's not as fun. I think to a lot of people, it's not as fun. the The last half of the project is not as fun as the first half usually. Um, but um, but still, I had a good time making uh, making 2016. Um, uh, learned a lot of cool stuff. Um, uh, the way it works, we have um, our game and engine teams are a lot kinder than a lot of studios. Um, I've worked at studios where we've been using uh, like scale form to do our UI. And basically, if it doesn't work, got to live with it it's like if if something in, in unreal is broken you you've got to live with it unless you work at epic in which case you can fix it right and that's right. kind of the situation i'm in i did if if something in our engine doesn't work i have the power to go and fix it um and and that was that's very empowering like when when you're not tied to what's given to you when when really the only thing stopping you is is your own imagination if you're like i want to make this feature in our engine like you can go ahead and make it um and that's uh that's really empowering to to be able to do that.
2: Yeah.
1: Um so yeah, I learned a lot about um uh really lower level uh coding, um uh performance, um, you know, uh uh handling uh, your memory footprint better, um a lot of a, a lot of uh, the lower level engine uh sort of level of, of UI programming and started getting into that. Um and and that really uh, really started to excite me, just because the the way it is like people people are excited about engine stuff, and um, so I was in the right place for that. Um, and uh, and that's really what I do now. I um, uh, I have the, the UI team that work with me, um, but uh, I I take a lot of the lower level tasks, like if. If we come in and text is broken, like there's no text rendering to the screen, someone broke text. They're like, okay, this is this is something that Kerry would look at. Um, uh, a lot of the localization issues. Um, um, you know, if, uh, if there's some key on a Japanese keyboard that we don't support and and they want to support <laughs> it, <they'll, laughs> we're like, okay, well that's that's one for Kerry. Um Yeah, things like that. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and, a whole UI pipeline, getting stuff out of the content creation tools and into the game. Um, uh, that's, that's all stuff that I work on. Um, and then the UI team, uh, uses all, all those tools uses that pipeline, uh, to make, uh, make the games that, that you guys play.
0: Nice. Uh, yeah. So we got a question here. Um, what are the different management styles that you've seen in the industry and what's your preference?
1: Um, so I think there's always, there's like this set of scales in, in every, um, every game development company, and you've got production on one side and you've got design or implementation like programmers would also go on this side, but it's, it's mostly design production. And, um, in a lot of studios, the, uh, the scales are tipped on production, like producers have the final say. Um, it is... Is kind of I wouldn't say it's completely the other way, but definitely designers have a bit more weight, and and the the uh, the programmers, the, uh, the people actually working on it. Well, producers are working on it too, but um, <laughs> you know the people who aren't who aren't direct management have uh, have a bit more say. Um, we kind of have um have a lot of the benefits of being an indie studio, of what an indie studio would have, um, while still having a lot of the uh, the luxuries that uh that a, a large studio would have, all all the funding and safety nets that come with that. Um but um everyone just kind of trusts everyone at id. It sounds weird, I suppose. I I don't know, like You're not being I've micromanaged, is, weird, right? And people Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's a really nice environment um, and yeah I think that's just because in that scales um, the the production isn't as heavy the producers management aren't as heavy on those scales as they are in, in some other studios I've uh, I've worked at other studios where it has been basically production has the final say and it, it's like I, I go to them and, and say you know you you've got me scheduled to do this but it would probably be a lot better if, if I did this if I did if i made this other thing and we handled this whole system this way instead and they were like yeah you should probably just do what's uh what what's in jira and i'm like okay i'll, I'll keep making mediocre games and
0: <laughs> man that's rough yeah, yeah i think i think the the most important thing personally for any kind of like creative endeavor especially one like this where there's so many people that are impacted is autonomy like My management style personally that I like to use and also that I like to be a part of is like, come in and give somebody a box to work within, make sure everybody understands what's going on, right? But then give them a box to work within and let them figure out what the right way to do it is and what the best result is going to be because they're the expert on that particular thing, right? And if they're not, then, you know, they need to talk to people and figure it out, right? Right. So I enjoy that. Yeah. That's what I want to do. That's what I do when I can.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I think actually when you get a bit more senior as well, you have, uh, you have a bit more luxury like that. Like for a junior programmer, um, like you could come in and probably for a junior designer and junior artist as well, you come in come in, in the morning and, uh, or come in the beginning of the week and your lead will say, hey, this week or today, I need you to get this, this, and this done. And pretty much, if if you get those tasks done in that timeline, then no one's going to complain. That's well done. Um, as you get more and more, uh, like into a, a more senior role, you're the one kind of figuring out, okay, what needs to be done, uh, and then you 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 delegate it to the <laughs> to the junior guys, right? Yeah. Well, you you know you you uh, you you mentor the junior guys. You give them. What they can handle and you take what (laughs) what they can't handle and uh uh, but but you're the one that kind of finds these tasks you're the one that that uh that does the deep diving it's like okay this is broken this needs fixing uh we need to work on this feature uh uh we've got this build that's due in a couple of weeks so we've got to prioritize these bugs um and you're you're kind of the one that 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 does that a lot more you you're you get to be a little bit of a producer um yeah uh, but uh yeah it, it's no longer a matter of i'm gonna come in today and as long as i do is do what i'm told uh i'll do well it, like you, you reach a point where that that just isn't good enough anymore
0: yeah oh here's a good question it says uh being 27 with bills and a job how can i get experience i can't intern for free you know it's a tough one right
1: yeah um it is a tough one uh so what I used, to, I used to do all this stuff. I used to enjoy doing this stuff in my spare time. I'd i been making games a long time before I was paid to make games. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was programming my games, like my, my first games at six years old and they, granted they weren't games that people would pay money for and that, that came a lot later, but I, I mean, it, it was a six year old that was having fun and learning stuff and uh, that's, I think that's really what you got to do. You got to come up with a, an idea for a project that's kind of within your scope. Um, maybe come up with uh, something that you can teach yourself. Um, like maybe just pick up a, a, a book about game programming, like Intro to Game Programming, and, and work through that book. And that can be that—that's your first goal: is just get through this book, you know. Um, and uh, do it in your own time. Uh, take as long as you need. Um, you know, reread sections if, if you don't feel you got it. And you know, go work at your own pace. And make sure you're having fun. Really. Um, yeah. If at any point you're not having fun, then try something else. And you know, pick up a different book. Maybe pick up a, an art book or, or a book about game design. Um, download um, download Unity or Unreal and and, uh, and just play through some some YouTube tutorials and and just just find find what's fun for you and yeah. uh once you find what's fun for you you'll, you'll be doing you're not doing your best work unless you're, you're having fun yeah. so once you get to that point then um then, then you start getting to the point where people would pay you for what you're doing and uh you can take all that stuff and put it on your resume or demo reel and say hey give me a job and pay me money
0: <laughs> yeah that's a really good point like i feel like when you don't have a job and, and you're you're limited on time. I feel like you should focus on getting better and demonstrating that on your portfolio reel, right? Like start making things because the truth is your resume and your demo, right? Or your portfolio site, or whatever it is that shows people what you're capable of. That's what gets you the first looks right outside of connections, right? Connections are obviously the biggest way to do it. Uh, But if you can showcase your skills, that's what's going to get people to be interested in you. So you need to focus on developing those skills, right? Yeah so here's a a pretty broad question and you can choose how you want to answer this but the question is what is it like making games
1: what is it like making games Uh, you know why that's a complicated question is because no two days are the same like it's it's a different a different set of tasks every day it's a different challenge every day and and that's like if you're a person that enjoys a new challenge every day, then uh, then that's awesome. Like you you'll fit right in. If you're a, a person that likes to do uh, repetitive work, but um, like that's probably not gonna be the sort of work that you're you're gonna be doing. Uh, like there's a lot of jobs that uh, that need someone that can do that sort of work, but with that sort of mindset. But that's not really gaming. Just every day is a new problem. Um, you gotta. Just switch between all the different problems. Just on on you know, just snap of a finger. You got to be like, okay, uh, now I'm working on this thing. Now all of a sudden, oh, we we found out that uh, that there's this this bug is is causing the game to crash. Okay, that's got to be my priority now. Or um, uh, okay, now uh, this particular feature got cut, so I'm I'm gonna stop working on that now. Um, Things like that. Yeah, you every day is a, a new problem. Yeah.
0: It's, yeah, it's
1: a lot of fun. Yeah.
0: Even, even if you get really good at something and super focused in your career, uh-huh. what you're working on day to day changes, right? So like, there's, yeah. there's, it's almost impossible to know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. Like it's right. And and how many times have we gone into a day with like, yep, I've got these tasks I'm going to knock out, and then we never <laughs> even got to touch those, right? And sometimes not for right. days because other things keep popping up.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, like before COVID, I'd, I'd be driving to work in the morning, and I'm in, in, in my car, I'm just kind of going over my to-do list for the, for the morning, but for the, for the day, I'm like, okay, today will be a good day if I can get this, this, and this done, and then like 10 minutes after I arrive in the office, the whole battle plan is just destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going to be a completely different day. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to touch so any much. of that stuff.
0: Yeah, it <laughs> happens all the time, man. Yeah. Oh, man. Mm-hmm so so you finished up uh you said doom 2016 right yeah so was mm-hmm. doom vr the next thing that you went on to
1: yeah yeah so um while we were winding down on on 2016 um i was out in frankfurt at the time it was at uh, in frankfurt in oh. germany and um I, our boss came over like uh, we we still we work very closely with the guys in dallas well we worked very i'm not a, I'm in Dallas now, uh, but Ed Frankfurt is still there. And we all still work very closely with each other. Um, and uh, our CTO came over uh, just just to hang out and see how everything was going. And uh, while he was over there, he bought a, um, a Vive. He was like, hey, Kerry, why don't you set this up and, uh, and see what you think of it? The Vive hadn't come out yet, so. but he's the CTO of it so he gets all the special presents from, from all the different companies. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, set this up put some games on it, and uh, let everyone have a try, and let me know what you guys think. So i uh, OK, cool. So I, I did that. When I got an afternoon, uh, I set it up and let everyone play some games on it. And someone, someone said, um, you should make Doom run on that. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, OK, I'll, I'll just go ahead and make Doom run on this. I wonder if I could make Doom run on this. <laughs> <laughs> And it kind of became a pet project just to get it up and running, just to get something running on the Vive that you could be like, "Yep, yeah, that's Doom." Terrible frame rate, terrible resolution, but yep, yeah, that's definitely Doom. <laughs> and it took me it took me a couple of weeks, and uh, there's a couple of guys there that, that chipped in, helped me out every now and then. Um, uh, but yeah, after a couple of weeks, I, I had something on the headset that, that was. Doom, like it was, it was, yeah. Like I said, it was bad resolution, bad frame rate. Um, but I showed that to, to our CTO, and he said, "Okay, well, um, E three is coming up in a few weeks. Um, if you uh, if we give you uh, whatever resources you need, whatever programmers you need, we'll throw some engine guys on there, some rendering guys. Uh, we'll we'll throw some gameplay guys on there and actually put together an experience. You know, get you a designer, uh, and like." whatever hardware you need can can we get a, a demo up and running uh, that people can play at e3 and i was like i've only worked on this for two weeks and i don't even really know what i'm doing so i'm sure <laughs> if you can be people who do know what they're doing yeah um let's let's do it so um so yeah um a bunch of people joined the project that's what that's when mark joined the project um and uh, yeah, between us, we uh, there's probably, how many of us? I think seven or eight of us working on it at that point. And uh, just busted our asses for a few weeks. And uh, and then we had something that we could actually show off at E3 that, that was a lot better than than what I got up and running in the two weeks. Um, so yeah, then Duffy came back over uh, right before E3. And he's like, you guys just, you knocked it out of the park. Like, wow, they're, they're gonna love this. Uh, what can I do for you guys? And uh, and I said, I kind of want to be the one to show it off at E3. <laughs> and and he said, Well, if uh, if I have my way, then you know I'll, I'll get as many of you guys to go as 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 I can get. And um, and he made good on that, and uh, and I got to go, and Mark got to go to E3, and we got to show off Doom VFR. No one had played Doom in VR before that. And, uh, I got to it was do right it. After the, I was um, there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was so cool, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got to um, uh, the... Was, there's the the Bethesda press release. All the companies do their big press releases at E3. And... Um, uh, they always broadcast them on Twitch and they show off all, all the new games that are coming out. And then uh, a lot of them will have a, a party afterwards. And that's what we have at, at Bethesda every year. We'll, we'll show off the games and then we'll have like another area where, we're, where there's a party for, for all the media people. And they can come and play the games. So that particular year we had VFR set up there and all the media started filtering in and blink 182 were on stage like right in front of the vfr booth so there was like mark and me were were there just running people through vfr and then blink 182 were just across from us and it, it, it was a good time to be alive
0: <laughs> that's really cool
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> so yeah. so how how long after e3 was it before it shipped like how much longer did you continue to work on that
1: so um, uh, not long after E3, uh, I ended up coming back to, uh, coming back to America, moving back to Dallas and I actually got pulled off of VFR for, for a while. Um, I got put on, uh, they were making a, a, a big patch for 2016, mm. uh, the 666 patch it's known as, right. um, and, uh, they completely revamped multiplayer, uh, just, yeah, redid all their multiplayer um, and a lot of ui into it and so i got pulled off of vfr to work on that for a little while and i was gone for probably about six months working on that actually because it was a massive patch it was a massive update um and um in that time uh, mark and a bunch of the other guys were still working on it um and it got to alpha and and then uh, then it was kind of all hands. Okay, now we need carry back, and we need need a bunch of other people. And so we started pulling in people from all over the studio, specialists in different areas, just to get things up and running, like get a, a, a proper game out. Um, and yeah, around the same time, um, the the other studios in under Zenimax were working on VFR tit- well, VR titles. We were working on doing VFR, but um, uh, Bethesda were working on uh, on skyrim vr and on fallout vr yeah
2: um
1: and we were all kind of working together on that uh well all kind of collaborating uh, sharing sharing our tech and uh uh, i got to show off uh skyrim and and fallout at a few events i got to show them off at show them off at quakecon uh, and that was pretty cool Um, yeah um so yeah that that year actually at quakecon uh You'd come up to the booth, and we'd give you the choice. you want to do Skyrim, Fallout, or Doom? And uh, I'd always be like, you want to do Skyrim, Fallout, or Doom, Doom? You want to, you want to do Doom, right? <laughs> uh, That's the way to do it. <laughs> so, Yeah. So, um, yeah, um, after that, I think I was on the project for the last three months or so before we shipped, and then uh, then it was on the shelves,
0: yeah nice and so then from there oh real quick i wanted to ask one thing real quick uh the the Mm -hmm. big patch that you guys did for doom that multiplayer was done by a different studio right and then you guys took took it in-house and fixed the multiplayer as part of that is that is that what happened there i'm trying to remember
1: it was uh uh, i think it was certain affinity did uh i I think i did the multiplayer maps for it okay but we did all, all the ui changes and everything
0: gotcha okay yeah, I just like that, that That could be I've worked on a lot of teams where a whole other studio works on a part of your game and that can be really difficult to deal with like, you're not communicating yeah. the same way. It's almost like talking to other people that are working on something. So I wasn't sure if you had any like, any direct contact with that, or if you, you know, spoke to that at all. But it sounds like uh, it sounds like it wasn't quite what I was thinking it might have been.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, we did uh, we did the UI in house, and then um, they did the the extra maps for multiplayer. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, and, and so um, while uh, while the group of us were, were finishing up on VFR, um, the rest of the the rest of the studio basically were working on um, uh, getting uh, uh, Doom Eternal started. So um, by the time uh, by the time we were done with uh, with VFR. Um, you know they had a, a they had a, a working branch that we we could you know they had everything everything was kicked off everything was started already and uh, uh, which works out really good for UI because you kind of have to have some sort of gameplay first before you can really do the UI for it um, UI kind of comes in towards the end of the pipeline because um, otherwise it just uh, doesn't work if you try and make the UI and then do the gameplay um, you end up redoing the UI. So you might as well wait till the end anyway. So, right. <laughs> uh, so by the time uh, by the time we were done with uh, with VFR, they were ready for us to start doing UI on uh, on Doom Eternal.
0: Gotcha. And yeah. then okay, so on Doom Eternal. So what what was that like? Like that that sounds like a pretty interesting project to have been a part per, uh, to been a part of.
1: Yeah. So with. 2016, it was kind of like we didn't. Everyone wants to make a good game, but um, you don't really know. Like when when you've when you've worked so hard on a game, um, you know, you ask people, you you do a lot of testing uh, to figure out like, is this going to do well? Is this a good game? Is this really a good game, or is this just me looking at it through rose colored glasses? You know, because I've worked on it so long. so we didn't really know. We we hoped that that we'd meet everyone's expectations with twenty sixteen, um, but we didn't really know for sure until it came out. And then just everyone ate it up, and we we're like, oh, okay, well now for Eternal, now now they actually are going to have those expectations. Now uh, now we've set the bar, and uh, and we've got to got to rise up to meet it. So um, yeah, we did uh, did a, a bunch of prototyping on uh, on the different. <laughs> you got a face on me that's yeah, so I was just typing <laughs> yeah.
0: it picks it randomly and you put it right on your face <laughs>
1: yeah yeah so um, yeah we, we spent a while just playing around with different um, uh, different features and stuff for, for Eternal to start out with and trying to get uh, like the the uh, mechanics all balanced like how you have um, the uh, the chainsaw the the flame belch and um, and and uh, and the glory kill. Uh, how how you get all the different power ups from those? You get your health, your armor, and, and your ammo from those. I uh, spent a while trying to get that balance, trying to try get the meta of, uh, of the game sorted out, uh, and make it feel make it feel really solid. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, we, we got some really good designers that uh, did a great job of balancing all of all of that and balancing all our weapons. Um, Balancing all, all the power ups you can get, all, all the different runes. Um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of testing, a lot of uh, a lot of balancing of those. Um, and then while that was going on, um, we were doing the UI to try and match everything. And we nice. went through. Well, you always go through a few different iterations of UI. The the first one you do is somehow never quite right. Um, uh, but yeah, I. I I was I was happy with what we shipped with in the end. I think um it was it was louder than a lot of UIs and a lot of people when they were watching Doom Eternal thought, oh no, that that's gonna be pretty uh pretty uh uh invasive. This this UI is gonna be distracting. Mm. But then um they I don't think they realize how fast the gameplay in Doom Eternal is because yeah. when people play it they're like, Oh wow, yeah I, if, if that didn't flash like hell, then I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have noticed it.
0: Yes, um, <laughs> that and, is yeah. true. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: All right, real quick. I got to take one more shot here. So I'm going to play my shot song. While I do this. <laughs> <laughs> Give you a second <laughs> to breathe.
2: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
0: yeah. So this is shot number three. We generally get up to five. There can be a sixth. And then that's my limit. <laughs>
1: So I'm just looking at my phone and put that away.
0: You're all good, man. <laughs> all right. So, so now we've kind of caught up right to where you are today. Yeah. So what, what is, I mean, obviously you can't talk about what you're working on, but like, what is, what is life like for you right now? Like what's, what's it like to work at It is that you can talk about?
1: Um, what can i talk about <laughs> well i mean i'm going through the same 2020 that everyone else is so yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. you know i wish it wasn't you know the epidemic and all of that um yeah it's it's been a rough year for everyone but right. um you know we're making the most of it um um uh, yeah i'm i'm enjoying uh still still hanging out with the
2: team a lot um oh no no. Oh,
1: oh, oh, are you coming back? oh, I'm back. I think you're back. I think you did it. Why, when my camera freezes, do I always have the best faces? <laughs> That's how it goes. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at myself like, okay, now it's, now it's going again. You, d- you know,
0: what's really funny is it was probably someone from your company being like, oh, he can't say
1: that pause. <laughs> right right yeah yeah so yeah um I think it's been a rough year for everyone with uh, with COVID um but I get to work with everyone still I get to work with the team still
0: that's good yeah so like yeah. How, how are you handling working from home personally like or are you working from home or do you guys go in at all or is it pretty much just at home
1: no no we um we we go in well not not yeah, we go in a little bit yeah do you okay yeah, yeah. but um uh it, it, it's been uh it, it, it it's just been challenging for everyone i think yeah. um yeah um I, i'm part of me is just thankful that i've got a job like a lot of people uh you know i don't have a lot i can complain about when there's people that covid has just destroyed the economy for them and destroyed their livelihoods yeah. and uh
0: yeah You know, one of the things I think a lot about is up until this year, whenever I would talk to full-sale students or people looking for jobs in the industry, they would, they would talk about how, like, I want to live in this place and work in games. And I'm like, well, there's not much work there. I think one good thing that is coming out of this year is we've learned that we can work remotely. Right. And I feel like there's a possibility here that companies are going to be a little more flexible going forward with, it doesn't really matter where you are, right? Like go live somewhere that's cheaper and use that income to to have a better life, you know, and then and but still you're getting your work done, right? Like it's it's a uh, I think it's interesting. Do you, do you think that that we might see more of this like staying around as we go forward just just as an industry-wide type thing?
1: I think it'd be good if we did. Um I I think there there is there is stuff that you gain from being in an office with people, being in a studio with people. True. Um but I don't think it's I don't think it's as essential as uh, as people thought it was before this, as um, as kind of our, our industry kind of assumed it was before this. So um, I don't know. I think it it might be it might be an option for for more people going forward, and if it gets more people into gaming, then uh, then that'd be awesome.
0: Yeah. Here's another thing I think about. Had this happened twenty years ago, even fifteen years ago it it would have been a nightmare for our industry, right? Cause like we didn't have the, the, the conferencing tools that we had. We didn't have the ability to, you know, work from home on nice machines and, you know, use the internet to send that stuff quickly yeah. to other places. Like we kind of had this happen technologically at, at a good time, which is really weird to say, but I, I'm trying to look at the positive and be like, we're, we're handling it. Okay. Right. Like our industry in general seems to be doing okay with it and there's hope for some potentially good changes out of it.
1: Silver lining, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and it kind of makes you think, um, of like, what they did before before we had all all this stuff. Like, um, like how did they do source control before everyone had broadband? Because you know, software development started in well, you know. As early as the 60s, 70s, like people were were working on projects together and no one had broadband back then. So like, (laughs) how did they do source control back then? I I guess they probably just passed a a disc around or passed whatever tape or whatever around stuff like that.
0: Yeah. That's (sighs) a fascinating thought. Like not only that, it wasn't until the early 90s that I had the internet period, you know, like period. So, like, that's uh, that is really, yeah, floppies. I, I think floppies and that kind of stuff was definitely a big deal. Did you know that NASA still works with floppies? Did you know this?
1: Oh, uh, do they? They do. Like, apparently, <laughs> this is
0: what I've been told. Somebody can prove me wrong. If I'm wrong, I, I hope somebody does correct me. But apparently, that a lot of the stuff from NASA still works off of floppy type system because you can't hack into it. You can't crack, you know what I mean? Like, it's all localized. Yes, yeah. yeah. So I'm like, that's that's kind of fascinating to me and a decent reason to to keep it that way. So I have a friend at NASA, though. I'm going to yeah. ask her if that's true. <laughs> I need to. Yeah. It could be one of those things I'm just going to, and I heard I it once, I'm going to roll with it for the rest of my life, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. I suppose you'd have to update the the floppies like regularly. You couldn't, like, floppies with data on them just sitting on a shelf won't last too long. That's true. Um, you know, not, not even as long as CDs or well cds will last forever but like you take um take a floppy like i got a bunch of old amiga games now and like none of them will load anymore
0: oh Um, no (laughs) yeah oh man so uh so i think we've kind of we've covered the career right like we we've gone through all that kind of stuff what here's one thing that i like to ask um what is your single biggest piece of advice for someone looking for their first job in the industry?
1: Um, I think I kind of touched on it before. Just, uh, just stay active. Do, um, uh, just constantly be working on projects, whether it's, um, uh, to reinforce, uh, whatever your instructors are teaching you. If it's a side project to learn something new, if it's just following a series of YouTube videos, just whatever, whatever is interesting to you, um, just make a goal around that and just work on it on the side and always have something going on the side. Um, That always looks really good um, on resumes as well. Like uh, you go to a school like Full Sail and uh, you go through the degree program and at the end of the degree program, everyone's going to graduate and then everyone's going to kind of be in competition for for the same jobs. So um, everyone's going to have the same, well, not necessarily the same final project but a final project on their resume everyone's going to have like the the midterm project on their resume and uh you know you're all going to have the same uh course material on your resume so in order to stand out from from all your classmates you're going to want have to have to done some stuff in your spare time you're going to have you're going to want to be able to talk about something that you're passionate about as well mm. so um you know I, I mean i was passionate about my final project but um but I found that I spoke in the interviews more about um uh, I was working on my own engine at the time and um and I had more fun in my initial interviews just talking about this engine that I was working on as a student. Um and uh they they could kind of get the passion that way. Um uh yeah, so definitely working on Working on stuff that you're passionate about outside of school is is really really the best advice I can give someone. Um, you're gonna you're more likely to finish your projects, and you're gonna be more excited to talk about them in an interview. Okay. All
0: right. So we've got a couple questions coming in here. So, Executus asks, "What is UI programming like?" I'm very interested in getting into UI programming, but I don't really know anything about it. <laughs>
1: So UI programming um, uh, is a, a lot of uh, data management and and uh, state management. It's lots of um, uh, lots of little bits of data come in, and, and you've got to display them all. And you know something might change very subtly, and then you've got to you got to reflect that in the UI. It's just about it's telling the player everything that changes in the game. So like all this data that that. Is available from the world, from the game world, is is coming to you, and you've got to present that data to to the player. So a lot of it is data management, and data structures, um, um, and yeah, managing the states that uh, like that are menus in managing the state that uh, the the game is always in in like there's always conflicting states. Like what happens if uh, if you you know you you pause the game and then you unplug the Ethernet cable, like oh well. That that's different to if the game wasn't paused and you unplug the Ethernet cable and you got to handle it in, in every case, kind of thing. Um, yeah, uh, it's uh, yeah, just really a lot of taking all the data and all the edge cases and all of that and showing it to the user. Um, so you probably don't have all the 3D math that you'd have for, from like a rendering or engine or even tools programmer, but um, it's just just managing a lot more data and presenting a lot more data to the user.
0: So, uh, yeah. what is a typical UI team comprised of? Is it like a designer, an artist, like how, how are they shared? Like what, what kind of, you know, how's how's the team kind of built?
1: So, um, I think all, all UI teams are different. Actually, um, you, you do generally have a, a, a UI designer and a UI artist. And then uh, for for programmers, you can have like your high level programmers that uh, that basically put together the screens and and the the, the widgets you see in game, um, like the HUD elements and things like that. And then you have your low level programmers that uh, that uh, get all, all the content into the game um, from from the tools, build the pipelines, uh, build all, uh, work with the rendering and engine guys to get the UI actually uh, rendering on the screen. Um, uh, You've got to handle uh, localization is, is the biggest pain in the butt. Like you, people don't realize how how much work goes into localization.
0: It's a nightmare. Uh, (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I remember, I remember Kayvon's, uh, wheel of misfortune (laughs) in, in, uh, in SGP. Um, he had his little wheel that you'd spin. He, he took two mice and and, like tape them together to make this new device that, that, was a spinning wheel thing and he'd spin his wheel and it would come up with something that uh that would just throw you off and one of the things was localize your localize your game in a a different language and luckily we didn't get that but um yeah you you don't realize all the things that like just all the different characters that uh that like if you localize the game in Russian, that's a whole different alphabet. You you localize the game in in Chinese, that's like four thousand characters. You need you need to fit those in memory somehow, you yeah. need to you know you need to send like move strings around the around memory for for Chinese characters. You you localize the game for Arabic, and you're you're reading backwards.
0: <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh! So yeah. one of the things I always tell people is. So just to get a basic understanding of why localization is such a pain with UI is when you think about the fact that we build a game, right? And we have little spots where we tell the player things, right? Like we're like, here's your next objective, or here's like, we give them information. We have to think about what is the longest version of this that's going to be in any language we're going to ship this game in. And we have to accommodate that in every one of those spots, right so now right. suddenly the space for something when in english we're like why did they allocate so much space to that and like you don't understand like they like those kind of oh yeah. it's such a nightmare it's such a nightmare
1: yeah oh yeah yeah like you've got uh, an okay button and in english it's like four characters so it's like an inch long and then uh then you turn that to German and it's five, 600 characters, I don't, <laughs> yeah, um, I just, yeah, it doesn't fit anymore. Uh, Germans, uh, Germans are pain. like for, for, um, for long words, like German translations, they, they like when, when I was in Germany, I learned a bit of German and it, it's actually very simple, but it's very, it's very literal. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, the word for gloves in, in German translates as hand shoes, <laughs> which is, uh, which is you know, a lot longer than gloves. <laughs> so, you know, you see all the pictures of memes and, and it's like, uh, there's a picture of a raccoon and it says trash panda. And I'm like, that's probably if you translate it German, what the word for raccoon is, it probably literally means trash panda or something like that.
0: That's the best and, description. Like, I, <laughs> I <yeah>. love it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So it, it, oh, okay. it's very
1: simple because if you don't know what the word means, you can kind of break it down, but, um, but then it's, it just makes it really long.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's man, the, the describing something instead of hearing it and just understanding it is very different. That is true. Yeah. So what are you passionate about outside of games? Did you develop any new hobbies during COVID?
1: Any new hobbies during COVID? Um, not really i watched a lot of uh a lot of netflix and uh, and uh and hulu um no it's something that i've actually been watching um i've been getting into quite a bit um uh actually since i went down to full sale it's full sale that got me into this was uh wwe like, NXT man I, I watched that when I was a kid when it was still WWF and um, <laughs> then I, I missed out on it f- I missed out on it for like 25 years and now Full sales just gotten me back into it and now now I have to watch it every week I have to watch Raw, Smackdown, NXT nice
0: yeah. nice
1: yeah I yeah. so
0: I was the same as you when I was a kid I loved the WWF a big boss man and like that was yeah. the kind of my era and then I didn't follow it at all <laughs> until I came to Full sale back to Full sale. And I went to an NXT match and I'm like, this is amazing. Like, this is a blast. And yeah. it's so much fun to watch. So yeah. good. That's funny. I like that.
1: Yeah, I kind of felt bad because I was kind of indifferent. They were, they were like, you want to go see this NXT match, uh, this NXT event? And I was like, yes, I'm not doing anything else tonight. And then I, I went there thinking that NXT is just like amateur, like, I, I don't know, like, like not the the level you'd expect, Raw or SmackDown. Like the production to be. And, quality
0: would be lower, yeah. right? Yeah,
1: <laughs> right, right, yeah. But then, then when I was there, I was like, "Wow, this is this is the real deal." And like these these guys are really talented. You know these these uh, these, these superstars are actually really talented. And uh, then seeing uh, NXT get bought really into the same spotlight that Raw and, and SmackDown has been in, it's like, yeah, NXT has grown dramatically over the last year yeah and and it it well deserved like they 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 turned me into a believer again
0: you know know, i think i think the mistake you made was forgetting how full cell makes like they put their best into everything right like the production quality of everything that they do for nxt is just off the charts awesome i love it makes me so happy to every time i get to go yeah all right, so what have you worked on in the accessibility field with UI? Have you worked on anything in that area?
1: In the accessibility field? Um, I suppose you could say uh, the motion controls for, um, like, when I worked on Connect, um And also, I've worked on a lot of emerging tech, I guess, really, Um and emerging tech and accessibility are kind of kind of related. Um, uh, with VFR, um, you know, there's some people that can't hold a controller. Well, you couldn't really hold it. You couldn't really play VFR without holding controllers. But just the the headset, um, playing around with that. Um, uh, yeah, motion controls with Kinect, um, the touchpad with uh, with uh, the Wii U. Um, yeah, I've had I've actually worked on a lot of experimental tech, and that's that's really where uh, a lot of experimental tech uh, does well is where is for accessibility. Um,
0: so, yeah. so let let me let me frame your thought a little bit. As you were doing that, were you having to consider? like people that maybe were missing a hand or someone, you know, like, or someone that didn't have a thumb or, you know what I mean? Like those kind of things that is that, did that ever kind of come into your thought process, um, like in the actual implementation and design of what you were trying to work on?
1: So it, it wasn't so much something we, we designed, but it was, it was definitely something we considered. I mean, we, we were we were curious if we could, uh, if if it if it could if it would work for someone who was who missing a hand or or any sort of limb um uh but uh yeah it's, i don't think we would have modified it we were still kind of um we still kind of had our target audience for the the goal was to get people up off their couch with connect um and so we we still kind of wanted to get that goal um but um, after we chipped Connect Adventures, you know, there was uh, the the Connect SDK came out, and everyone was playing around with that, and that that's really when the the fun stuff, like the the experimental stuff, really started for me. I think um, started playing around, um, trying to figure out how to how to have seated experiences, and and um, you know, uh, uh, started to do finger tracking and things like that with Connect. Um,
2: yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Like it's, I think as developers, it's easy for us to like, we, we build for our target audience. Right. And it's, it's hard enough for us to kind of think about who is our target audience and, and then tailor a game to them. Like that's something that's hard to do, but then to also try and think about like, okay, now that we've kind of figured that out, what do we also do? To make it more accessible to even not just people outside of that target audience but also people with disabilities and things like that and i think that's an area as an industry that we're getting better at in general but i think we still got a little ways to go with that
1: yeah yeah i i think you you well i say like as, as an industry we all just kind of learn i i guess I, like the, the things the advances you've seen in, in UI in, in the last twenty, thirty years of, of, um have been really good. Like uh twenty, thirty years ago, my mom would never have played games, but now uh like her phone she plays on her phone. And you know, a lot of us would say, Oh, those aren't real games, but they are, you know, they absolutely they're, you know, <laughs> playing playing mobile games is is how a lot of people it, it's a gateway drug for a lot of people. It's the biggest market um, in the I world. Never <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I never thought I'd see my uh, my grandpa play video games until Wii Tennis. And then like he was all about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so making uh making UI, making uh input methods that people that are natural for people. Uh you know, you give give someone a, an iPhone and and they know what a pinch does, they know what a swipe does. You know, you tell them to swipe and they understand that. Um and and I think that's really like coming up with those conventions and and um, coming up with those ways to, to to really explain the game without actually explaining it. Like, if I put you in front of a shooter and give you uh, give you a PlayStation controller, I don't have to tell you what button it is to fire. I don't have to tell you what button it is to pause. Like, you you instinctively know those at this point. And I, I think. UI has uh, has come a long way in, in establishing those those guidelines, and um, just as more and more, you know, we'll learn more and more, uh, we'll come up with more and more creative ways, uh, and and we'll include more and more people. Um, you know, there'll there'll be new methods that we'll come up with for UI that uh, that will cater for for people with disabilities a lot more, and um, yeah, gaming and and so- just software in general will will be for everyone.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I like it. Yeah. All right. So Savdes asks, what is your UI pet peeve? Or is there anything you regularly see in game UI that you wish would change?
1: Um anything that I see in, in UI that I th- that I wish would change. We're we talking about like professional games or yeah, are we talking just about like students. In- I've got a, a laundry list of of things in student games. I'm that sure
0: you do. I, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, well, actually let, let's yeah. address both of those, right? Because I think let's talk about the student stuff first, because we see a lot of, I'm sure you do like I, you see a, a lot of common mistakes made by new developers, right? So like what, what, what's, what's something that sticks out as like, I wish people would stop doing this or learn to do this better.
1: So if I if I get to see a demo of your game and I know the name of the font you used, that's bad. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if that font is Arial or Helvetica or something like that. Don't use those fonts. You, use something more, more in line with your game. Like if you're putting together your, your system to, to draw text to the screen and you use those fonts just to, to demo it, just to test it, okay. But then when you actually... Flesh out your game. You put put real fonts in there. Um, that's uh, I, I see that a lot is when students use like Arial or Helvetica or Courier or something. Like if I know the name of your font, it's a bad font to for you to use in your game. Um, what else do I see a lot? So I see a lot of um, kind of I, I guess like abuses of screen real estate. I'd say they have a UI element that you don't really care about that takes up half the screen. And then the thing that you really do care about, you wouldn't notice unless, uh, unless you were really searching for it. Um, you see that a lot. Um, like, there's a lot of things in a game that, you, that you, you, you only really need to be reminded of very occasionally. But then there's some things in the game that you need to be reminded of pretty much every frame. And, and they, should, um, they should take up the real estate on the screen accordingly.
0: Okay. What about, is there anything just in what we currently accept as, as UI that, you know, in professional games that you think could be improved or that you wish was better?
1: Um, Anything in professional games. Um, That's a, that's a bit more, a bit more of a challenge. Definitely. Um,
0: Definitely. And you may not have anything that
1: comes to mind, but. um, I'm trying to think of anything that like really bothers me and, So, well, I've played a lot of Animal Crossing recently.
2: Okay. And, like,
1: that game has the worst UI. Like, they've almost made a game out of bad UI. Like, if you fixed all the UI issues, like, it wouldn't feel right anymore. Like, there has to be UI issues in there. Like, the fact that, um, well, it's more of a UX thing, I suppose. But the fact that... um, uh, going to the airport and then uh getting your friend to open the gate so you can go visit their island and then you go over to their island and then um uh their buddy who's already on their island puts puts their their system to sleep and then you lose all your save oh no Uh, yeah yeah. yeah it's it's pretty volatile oh and um you can you can quit that you can quit multiplayer by going back to the airport and flying back to your own island or you can just pull up a menu and say quit basically but if you pull up a menu that's the brute force way of doing it and so if anyone else is in a dialogue and you do that way it will just kill the, the whole save like it, it will just reset everyone and and it doesn't tell you about that at all it's just like he wants to be on his own island we'll put him on his own island
0: oh man <laughs> That yeah. is frustrating. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: It's funny. Cause I feel like every time I, I start an animal crossing game, I have to learn how to play an animal crossing game again. Like it's so different and it has so <laughs> many things that I think are just, it's like, that's the way we've always done it. So we'll continue to do it that way. And I'm like, that's not a good reason to continue to do things like, but people right. bought more of that than anything else last this year. So, okay. Like, <laughs> I guess it's right. working. So. <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, they 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 did just break all the rules. Like one of the things, if if you're gonna you're gonna turn your console on for the night and you you're thinking I'm gonna play with my buddies. You know, I've been thinking about playing with my buddies all day. I'm home now. I'm gonna jump on my on my Switch specifically to play with my buddies. And. You turn it on, like you should be playing with your buddies in thirty seconds. Yeah, on any game, like thirty seconds later after you turn turn it on, you should be in in a match with your buddies, not listening to some pelican say, "Are you really sure you want me to open the gate?" And it's so many screens, and and then there's just so so much. uh, They they did it so badly.
0: Uh, Yeah. Well, their whole friend system with the code and stuff is still. Irritating to me too, but I don't know, man. Like, it, like it should be easy to connect with people and and just like, let me play together. Like, if that's what your game is trying to do, and that's what I want to do, like, let me do it easily. I'm with you on that. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we're getting close to time here. So I want to ask: Is there? Well, I actually have two. I have two questions. The first one is: So I'm not sure if you know this about me. You may or may not. I'm colorblind. These glasses help me see color a little bit better. That's why I have them. How much of an impact does that have on what you do as a UI programmer?
1: That actually has a lot of impact on, uh, on what we do in UI programming. I don't know if you saw some of our, uh, uh, color features in, in Doom Eternal. This is where I get to brag a little bit, right? (laughs) (laughs) There you go. So, um, yeah, we, we have uh, a bunch of different uh, a bunch of different uh, color systems. Um, if you don't like the HUD, uh, the default HUD is is green and red. Um, if you don't like that, you can change it to a bunch of other colors. You can change it to a, a blue color scheme, or or uh, I think there's a pink color scheme in there, and a bunch of a bunch of other different color schemes. Something that that, that suits your your play style more. Um, uh, even if you're not colorblind, it, it's something that some people just want to go in there and, and you know they, they prefer the 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 blue HUD because it's I guess it's more subtle or or they prefer the the pink HUD because it's more aggressive. Um, in addition to that, we've got the the different um, uh, colorblind rendering modes, so um, you can actually change the the settings um, and it applies a a, a, a rendering filter onto onto the game so to help colorblind. Um that probably would be a little bit more weird for someone that didn't have colorblindness. Um but uh still it's yeah it, it it's a big deal. Um I remember watching uh, watching a video uh for one of the designers who worked on Halo Wars who was colorblind. And um and one of the pieces of feedback he gave was that uh, you should be able to see enemies on the mi- There's like a mini map, and he said you, sh- you should be able to see enemies. It's not really useful to me only seeing allies on on the mini map. Mm. And they said you can see enemies on on the mini map.
2: He's like, what-, <laughs> what do you mean?
1: Like, there's red and green dots for allies and and enemies, and and the whole time he thought they were the same color.
0: Wow. Yeah. I I get that feel. I get that feel. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's one of those things that, and I, I loved, especially at Volition. Um, I was known as the colorblind guy, so I could, I was someone that, uh, would be able to, you know, like I would bring that stuff up a lot, you know, because uh, that mattered to me. And, uh, so uh, I was able to make some pretty good change over there, which was nice and started at least getting people to think about it, you know? Yeah. And like that, but it's like, you know, it's 5% of your population you're talking about that at least has some kind of struggle with it. And it it's a yeah. big struggle, right? When you're talking about like what you say, I can't differentiate friend from foe. That's what I've dealt with my whole life. So that's uh, a, yeah. that is not a great pro- or It's not a great situation for me to be in, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Or if you're, you're playing a first person shooter and, um, and like the player names appear above their heads and it's red for, for an enemy and green for a friend and you can't really tell. It takes you an extra second to you have to really look at the skins to figure out which one they are because you, you don't get that red and green. Yep. Um, yeah.
0: That's why I was always terrible at multiplayer because like it would take me a split second to distinguish friend from foe and that's just enough time to get killed. Happened a lot. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. Team Deathmatch didn't work very well for me. <laughs> All right. Yeah. La- last question for you. Do you have any, any like just pieces of general wisdom or something you want to make sure that people know about you or about getting into the industry? Just something that you're passionate about as far as working in games.
1: Ooh. Um, it's a pretty broad question. am trying to think what, uh, um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm passionate about UI, obviously. That's, that's my field. And I wish there was more people that graduate that were more interested in UI. A lot of people, I think, see uh, gameplay or... I, I think people are either technical or they're creative. And when it comes to programmers, the technical ones all want to be rendering programmers, and the creative ones all want to be gameplay programmers. And that kind of leaves UI... No one, no one kind of thinks about UI. Um, I think for a while, UI was kind of the redheaded stepchild <laughs> of game development. But now, over the years, it's started to become more and more appreciated. And now, now it is appreciated as much as any of the other disciplines. Um, but maybe that that has to do with it. Um, doesn't always seem as glamorous as uh, as rendering programming or gameplay programming but uh but i love it and uh anyone that uh, that gives it a try i think uh, i think they'll love it too as there's a lot of a lot of a lot of crossover as well like i get to do rendering work i get to do gameplay work with with ui um you really get to touch everything um a lot of bugs will come to you um <laughs> like um you'll get stuff like you'll get a bug that says this screen doesn't show the, the player's gamer tag and it's like okay well let me have a look and see why aren't we showing the player's gamer tag and you dig into it and you're like oh the uh the networking code is broken and it's not actually sending the gamer tag so let me fix the networking code so i can get the game tag to show it in the ui oh
0: and man get, uh,
1: a lot of stuff like that
0: all right yeah. all right yeah. so uh and i, I realized i did have one more thing to ask um are you cool with people contacting you uh just to make a connection with you and and talk to you about the industry and ask for some advice and if so like what's the best way for people to get in touch with you
1: um so i'm trying to do better on twitter um uh underscore kez is my gamertag uh, well my twitter handle it's also my gamer tag as well but yeah i <laughs> haven't been on xbox live in a while but let I me mean, put that in the chat I suppose
0: he said that's on Twitter that's where it's a good spot for people to catch you Yep. all right My, uh, Twitter excellent yep. all right man this has been a blast uh, I, I really appreciate you coming on and hanging yeah. out with us tonight answering questions I'm sure everybody learned a lot of special wisdom from you tonight and we we definitely appreciate you being here Yeah. thanks for having me absolutely good times awesome good All right. I'm going to jump out of here and say my goodbyes and I will talk to you soon, my man. Appreciate you. Later. Thank you for listening. And don't forget you can join us live every Wednesday night at 7pm Eastern at twitch.tv forward slash Jamison Doral. Every Tuesday, I'll have a new podcast episode ready for you. Be sure to follow me on all of my social media using the links in the show notes and join the Dev Team Discord to be a part of the conversation anytime. We'll see you soon.